college football season is here. Aren't you excited? This is the most exciting time of the year. I mean, my enjoyment is higher. The the, the sky is bluer. The air is brighter. I could not be any more excited. And Pac-12 season is here. Arizona and Khalil Tate Amson didn't start the season off well, but the conference is going to have a great year. This is the most important season in Pac-12 history. You fans have to be on board. Everybody needs to be a fanatic. Coaches, recruits, this is about everything. We're playing for all the marbles. We must get in the college football playoff, and we must win the national championship. This is George Reister with Ralph Amsden, and you're listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, Ralph, I know that you've been dreading this. I know that you started to say you got a cold. You weren't feeling well. You tried to duck out of the podcast today because Khalil Tate Amsden and and the Arizona Wildcats laid an egg in Hawaii yesterday. It was absolutely awful. 45 to 38. There, there was Swiss cheese defense, Ralph, and Khalil Tate didn't do anything to help it out. How are you going to defend this? I will count. First of all, I will say that I was looking to see if there was any such thing as like a podcast benefits where I could take a sick day, maybe have a fill in or something like that. But I, 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 I thought about it. I think I think there's enough for me to come out and defend Khalil Tate on some things here. But I mean, you're right. They took a really bad loss yesterday. They took that loss as a team. I thought Khalil Tate did some things really well. I thought that Khalil Tate did enough to maybe take away that label that you've given him as just an athlete and not a quarterback. I thought he did some very quarterback things, but ultimately there's no excuse for the Pac-12's continued just terrible performances against Mountain West schools. It was it was troubling to to see and Khalil Tate finished with a good stat line. 361 yards, 22 for 39, which isn't great, but uh, for three touchdowns, two interceptions. However, both of those two interceptions were absolutely ugly. And one of them was in the red zone, which went in the third quarter when they needed a, or the fourth quarter when they needed a stop. I mean, when they needed to get on the board, like that could have been the play to change the game. And when you look at Khalil Tate's numbers, He had a game reminiscent of his sophomore season. He rushed for 108 yards as well, almost got in the end zone at the end of the game. But a lot of his plays, though, like to the receivers, like some of where those break out of the pocket, long throws, like he's got a big arm. He's just not a good quarterback. He's supremely athletic. He is, you know, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Antoine Randall where he was a quarterback in college at Indiana, really good player, you know, almost like a slash, like a Cordell Stewart type, except for he's just, he would be much better at an NFL player at a different position. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And 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 I, I did like what you said. So a good quarterback, a good quarterback would be money in the red zone, right? We're saying that a good quarterback would be money as a passer in the red zone. And he did. He made a really bad throw. He got picked off. It came at a critical time. But you and I agree, a good quarterback would be money in the red zone, correct? Not all the time. However, the general – hold on. Well, how, well, I just want to throw I this can, out there because before hear- he threw that pick, career – his career, he had 17 touchdowns, no interceptions in the red zone going into hey, that mistake. See, you're, you're you're hanging on stats here, Ralph. And in reality, because that's the and, only thing I've in reality, you and I both know when you're watching film and you're judging red zone quarterbacks, Tim Tebow was super efficient in the red zone too because they they would run the ball so much down there that the play action, like the like the touchdown he threw in the red zone. Uh, to the to the tight end was off a hard play action fake. The corner got to looking in the backfield and the tight end was wide open. He gets a lot of those passes because he is so dynamic and athletic with his legs. Like he is a weapon like th- that. I don't want anybody to mistake that. However, I just don't understand your fawning and praise over Khalil Tate as a quarterback. I was talking to my wife about this and she was like, 
George, like the kid, he almost won won the game. He's athletic. He made some good passes. I'm like, yes, he did. However, I'm looking at pro potential. And when I look at the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, which, which we will rank soon, Khalil Tate is one of the – he's in the bottom third of quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Him, Chase Garbers, JT Daniels, and I'm not going to judge Washington State's quarterbacks because we have no idea about them. We haven't really seen them. I mean, like, those are three of the worst quarterbacks in the Pac-12 to me. You can't – I love Chase Garbers. He's a good kid. But you can't put Khalil Tate and Chase Garbers in the same sentence. Name one I other quarterback. I put JT Daniels in that even, same one, too, from USC. But but name one quarterback, one single quarterback in the Pac-12 who is even physically capable – of going for 350 in the air, 100 on the ground. Justin, Justin Herbert. Name one. Justin Herbert, probably. I mean, but he's probably the only one. But he's never done He's it. probably the only one. But if you've never done it, this is what I'm saying. Like last night, the, the stat line is impressive. You can't ignore stats altogether. And look at what he's surrounded by. The three receivers that he had out there with him, two converted quarterbacks making their first like starts as – as freshmen and a former walk-on with an offensive line that all graduated out last year, an offensive coordinator who I I don't know what he was up to, but Khalil Tate accounted for 87% of their offense, 469 of their, of their 539 total yards without him on that team, without him on that team, they lose that game, which is, which is embarrassing. Hawaii has a good offense, but in reality, their, their defense is Swiss cheese. This is not a game a Pac-12 team should lose. Even Oregon State should not lose this game. And and I am not setting this game at the feet of Khalil Tate because he clearly, you know, like he had a good game. He had a game that was good enough to win. Arizona only had two turnovers. Those were his two picks. And their defense got six turnovers. When have you ever seen a team lose a game that got four more turnovers and then the other team didn't score off of your turnovers. I mean, it was. I will. That was a very new experience yeah, for me. Like, <laughs> I will give you that. That defied football math uh, gravity. It defied it. Like, there's that does not happen. If you win a turnover battle, you win games. And that did not happen. And the, the person who I'm blaming this loss on, which is the guy who was supposed to um, you know, bring the program back is Kevin Sumlin. And I do not think it can be ignored at this point in time. I think Kevin, Kevin Sumlin's 0-4 in his last uh, – no, I think he's like, oh, I have to check the – Five, yes, five and ten in yeah. his last 15. Yeah, five and ten in his last – No, no. And when you look at Arizona play from last year when they struggled in the preseason – well, in the early season – against Houston and against everybody else, are you telling me that from then to now that you think that Arizona is is the arrow pointing up on Arizona? Oof, no, I mean, honestly, if you remove just two players from this team, Khalil Tate on offense and Colin Schooler on defense, I don't know if they win a game in Mountain West play, much less Pac-12 Yes, play. Oregon State then goes from being the worst team in the conference to Arizona being the worst team in the in the conference. And, you know, we, we talked the last episode about coaching hot seats and, you know, when Lynn Swan was asked about Clay Helton, how many losses it would take. I'm sitting here looking at, um, at Arizona and Kevin Sumlin, and I'm saying, woo. Whew. If if this is clearly a four win team, a three to four win team after what we saw yesterday, and I'm sitting there saying, "Wow, if they win three or four games, I don't know if Kevin Sumlin survives this season." I mean, am I am, am oh, I overreacting? Maybe. I mean, I I I don't. It's the fresh mindset of losing to a Mountain West team, which which I want to point out has happened way too much lately, whether it was ASU getting worked in last year's bowl by Fresno State, losing to San Diego State on the road last year, 
I mean, going all the way back to UCLA losing to Wyoming in the Vegas Bowl like uh, uh, over a decade ago, it seems like every time these teams run into each other, where San Diego State beats Stanford a couple of years ago, it's it's getting to the point where where the the if if the Mountain West is probably close, they got oh, yeah. close to five hundred. Oh yeah, right. I mean, they got to be oh, close to five hundred. And, 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 and you forgot about the best team in the Mountain West, Boise State. I was about to say. Oh, I don't want to talk about Boise State because not there's not there's not a single team in the Pac-12 right now that wouldn't be biting their fingernails over having to face Boise State, and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Nobody, nobody in the SEC and nobody in the Big Ten is is fretting having to play a team like Memphis, even though Memphis would give them a really really good game, maybe even win. I think I think the psychology of a Pac-12 fan is you go into these games against like Hawaii expecting yeah. that you and, might and not Boise, come out with the win. Boise State was kind of looked at as the anomaly because you know they had played in um in New Year's Six games, they had beaten really good teams, they had beaten Oregon, they had beaten who was it Oklahoma or Alabama one or, one or two and you're just sitting there like okay, they're they're just different. And now you're looking at it, you're like, wow, maybe we shouldn't schedule these dudes because there's nothing to gain. There's nothing to gain. There's only stuff to lose by playing Mountain West schools and actually losing. And speaking of that, Ralph, that brings us to the 12 today. The 12, where we rank something 1 to 12, 12 to 1. And today, we are, because the season is starting, it is here. Even though preseason rankings don't mean much. However, we love to experience this and do this and go through the whole process and see where we were right and see where we were wrong. And today it is the Pac-12 Power Rankings, the preseason edition. We'll just pretend like because I had mine done already. I posted it on unafraidshow.com. So this is without the news of Arizona losing to Hawaii. I'm prefacing that. This is without that news. Ralph, do you have your Pac-12 power rankings, and I'm interested to see how you had Arizona ranked. Honestly, I tried my best to keep it to where I had it before I watched that game, and I didn't have Arizona very high in the first place, so not a lot's going to change on my end. Okay. But I, you want me to go ahead and start with yeah. my go? Want me to do yes, my first sir. view? All right, here we go. So I'm going to go with, uh, at, the, at the very bottom, in the Judas spot, as we call it, at number 12, I've got Oregon State, uh, followed by UCLA, which I know oh, you don't I like. Could but that's, fight you. Are you? I think that's UCLA the one. number eleven. UCLA win. UCLA so number hold, eleven. Hold on. So followed, after, followed by after Arizona lost that game yesterday, are would you say that Ariz, that UCLA will probably beat Arizona? I, I I would question who on UCLA's defense can stop oh, Khalil Tate. I don't I don't know if I don't know if uh, Arizona's going to be able to get a stop. <laughs> but he, he, here's what I'll say about here's what I say about Arizona. If they run the ball, they probably have a chance. Even against your Ducks, George, it, we're we're just a few months removed from Arizona beating Oregon by 30. Khalil Tate had a game that I I would have criticized him for with only 170 passing yards and three touchdowns but when they gave it to jj taylor 30 times they have a chance to win so maybe arizona figures out that they need to run the ball by them that is one of that's one of oregon's worst losses of all time (laughs) i do have i have have, uh colorado at number nine washington state coming in at number eight cal at seven and uh and then asu rounding out uh, the the bottom half of that list at number six. Wow, you're you're giving Colorado a lot of respect. Uh, I have at number twelve. I have Oregon State, even though that they're they're going to be markedly better with Jonathan Smith in his second season as the head coach. They got their top passer, running back, wide receiver, and top nine tacklers back from last season. So you would you would think that they would be able to improve on their two and ten record from last year? Nope, because they lost nine games by seventeen points or more, and they're not going to be better. Um, I got Colorado at number eleven, e- even though I should have Arizona at number eleven or twelve at this this point. But <laughs> I had them number eleven coming into the season, 
Number 10, I got Arizona. Nothing needs to be said about the Amsdens. I'm just going to call them the Amsdens from now on. <laughs> I, I got number nine, Arizona State. I have been here. Uh, I talked to a couple coaches in the Pac-12 this year. Um, well, this week. And they love the true freshman quarterback at Arizona State, Jaden Daniels. They love him. They think that he's going to be a star. They think he's special and that he would start as a true freshman at most uh, places in the Pac-12. Number eight, I got Washington State. Only because I have no idea how their quarterback situation is going to be. Number seven, I got the UCLA Bruins. You can call me crazy, but I got them picked to win the Pac-12 South, even though Ralph has them as a one-win team. They're already going to have one win week one against Cincinnati. And number six, I got the Cal Golden Bears. This is a team, mark my words, Pac-12 Apostles listeners, mark my words, Ralph Amsden. If they get good play out of Chase Garbers at quarterback, their defense is going to be so damn good that this is a team that can win, not only beat Oregon, beat Washington, beat Stanford, but this is a team, this is the dark horse team to win the conference in 2019, and it all depends on two things, their health and their quarterback play. That's my 12-6, to Ralph. I mean, I don't disagree with you about Cal's potential. They could they could really be the big upset here in the conference if they're consistent. And if honestly, if we're being honest, if they get any play, you know what? If they had Khalil Tate, I'd pick him to win the conference (laughs) (laughs) because he'd be surrounded by talent. And right now, he's not. That's funny Um, because I would too. I if Khalil Tate were on Cal, (laughs) just because of his running ability and his his threat, I would have him. I would have Cal pick to win the conference as well. So, I mean, I, I, I do like that. I think Arizona State at nine is interesting to me because I did see a couple of people yesterday. I think someone on College Game, Herb Street, picked them to win the Pac-12 South. I think that it, it's all sort of a wild card on whether or not every single defense decides to sell out for the run and whether this kid, Jaden Daniels, can beat anybody. Uh, so I think Cal and Arizona State are really the two wild cards for me that could do anything i mean they 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 won't be at the bottom because the bottom of the barrel in the pac-12 is really really bad but i mean i think i could see cal or asu as low as nine or as high as two or three so it really um i really don't have too much of an issue with the bottom half of your list because even though you think ucla is going to win the pac-12 south you think that the pac-12 north is so much stronger that you don't even have ucla in your top six so you know, I think that uh, I, I think that what you're you're saying is UCLA would take advantage of a very um, unstable Pac-12 South this year. That's exactly what what I what I'm saying. I, I think that they're gonna that if they win the Pac-12 South, it'll be with nine wins max, maybe maybe eight wins. That it, it's gonna be some crazy stupid tiebreaker that they end up getting in the conference championship. And whoever wins the North, if they want a seat at the table in the college football playoff, is going to have to blow the doors off them. I think I, I for my number five, I took a little bit of a vacation from uh, from projecting people's potential. Uh, and I, I had trouble with this one. I flipped a coin uh, on, on my number five and number three. I went back and forth a bunch. I flipped a coin and ultimately I ended up with Stanford at number five. I think that Stanford could be as high as three and maybe deserves to be three. Um, but based on what I saw last year of what they look like when you take the running game away, and even though KJ Costello was good, knowing that the coaches just hated every day having to go out there and throw the ball, I had them in my number five spot just because I still think they're very, very talented. And I think that what they do works. Um, but the Pac-12 North is very strong this year. And if they're stuck throwing again, then they're not going to surprise anybody. And so, you know, if, if you can take two of those things away uh, from Stanford and, and make them struggle offensively and make their defense have to keep them in games, I think that they're going to have uh, a, a couple of games this year where maybe they get run off the field. So we'll see. I don't see Stanford getting run off the field just because they don't. That doesn't happen. Like you can almost pencil them in for nine or ten wins a year. They some kind of way, even when they're bad, like last year, they found a way to win nine games uh, inexplicably. 
I mean, it, it felt like they lost seven games last year, but they only lost four. It was incredible. Um, at number five, for me, I got the USC Trojans. I, I, I think that they have enough motivation to right the ship in 2019. They had their first losing record since 2000, and I think the only, only the third one since I have been alive. And they're playing for Clay Helton's job. But the only thing is, like, I think the, that JT Daniels is a bottom third quarterback in the Pac-12. I think he's been – he's easy to confuse. I don't think he's special. Um, you know, but he should be okay. Like, his numbers are going to be okay because he's throwing to the best – the second best wide receiver core in the nation. St. Brown, Vons, and Pittman, that's just special. So that's why I got USC at number five. But I could see them doing anything from – going undefeated and winning the Pac-12 all the way down to a five and seven season like they had this year. I don't think there's any bigger range for any team in the Pac-12 than USC. I think you're right on that, on them having the range, but I see so many people that have their minds made up that this team's going to start one and four. I mean, their minds are already made up that they're going to be one and four, potentially 0 and five at the end of five weeks. And I think that you and I are two of the only people that I know of that look and say, yeah, this actually, this actually could be five and zero. I mean, probably not five and zero. maybe four and one. I don't really see them winning in Seattle, if I'm being honest, but having Utah at home and having Stanford at home. Yeah. Explain well, to me why they couldn't win those games. They're much more athletic. They'll have home field advantage. Uh, and and they've got they've got the talent to get it done. If they believe in Clay Helton, then they're going to be motivated. The worst thing that could happen for this USC team is for them to come out and prove everybody right by laying an egg against a very well coached Fresno oh, State team. I was week. just going to say that, and we're going to talk about that on the preview show uh, on the next podcast. But USC, you're going to know everything you need to know about them this season against Fresno State. Jeff Tepford, who used to be at Cal head coach of Cal and the Oregon and the Oregon uh, officer coordinator before that is a w- really good coach. He had them in the top 25 last year. This is going to be a test where USC is going. You're going to know everything about USC and how their season is going to go based upon that game. Cause that is a game that they can lose. Who do you have number four, Ralph? Well, before, before I, that, so you, uh, or USC is my number four. And, and before I, 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 I move on or ask for your number four, I want to pose a really strange question to you. Let's say that Tedford comes out and, and lays it on USC in yep. week one and then goes on to have a second double-digit win season in a row. And Urban Meyer has no interest in I'd, coming I'd, back to okay. college football. Do you yeah. see where I'm going with this? In any universe, is it possible that Jeff Tedford earns his way back into the good graces of being a Pac-12 head coach? Yes, because except for USC, I don't. I, I think that he would be USC's fourth or fifth choice when he should be their first or second choice. Because obviously, I I have talked about it that i believe that urban meyer is angling for this usc job he likes being in california i i totally believe that he will be usc's next head football coach if things don't go well this season and however jeff tepfer if he beats them and then continues to take fresno state to a top 25 season then he's proven he could win at cal proved he was a really good offensive coordinator at oregon and, you know, and USC, he should be on your short list. But, you know, at that point in time, they're going to want a big name. They're going to want to try to land somebody huge, but nobody is going to want that job, despite it being such a historically good job, because the coaches that come in are going to want to clean house and the front office and the people, the higher ups at USC do not want that to happen. Yeah, I think that the USC fans would probably freak out at us even suggesting the possibility of this. But, I mean, you look at what he's doing with Fresno State and you you look at what's possible with Cal and, and some of the things that, that he was able to accomplish there, winning five bowls in a six-year period. Um, 
you know, maybe they were too hard on him, especially since they didn't have the resources to keep Cal competitive. Um, but then again, maybe he's just uh, one of those guys that performs really well at the level he's at and not necessarily when you when you level up. I tell you what, it'd be a bad look for USC to go out and lose to him <laughs> on oh, that, 31st. That would be a awful – I mean, that couldn't get the season started on a worse note because right after that, then they get Stanford, then BYU at BYU, a game that they should win, but it'll be a little more difficult because they're playing at BYU. Then they got Utah and then at Washington. I, I it, That could be a rough start to the season. My number four team, though, is Utah. I know a lot of people aren't loving this. They're like, oh, the, the media picked Utah to win the conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason why they picked them is because their schedule is very favorable. They play at USC. They play Washington State. So to make a long story short, they avoid Stanford and they avoid Oregon this year. So those are two what what me and Ralph have and pretty much everybody, two of the top five teams in the conference. And if you can avoid them, that means that you can and you're one of those top five teams, too. That means you only have to play two of the top five teams in the conference. So that gives you a real advantage in terms of the Pac-12 South, winning the Pac-12 South, and getting to the Pac-12 title game. So uh, so Utah's schedule, not necessarily their ability to be dominant, is what has caused people to pick them so many times in to win the to to win the Pac-12 South and potentially win the conference. One of my favorite things about Utah's schedule, and I actually have Utah as my number three, so I'll jump right into it is that they start off the year with their rivalry game. Colorado does it every year. BYU does it every year. It's one of those things where you go out. I mean, you have to be prepared. It's not like you're – you know, they got North Illinois, Northern Illinois and Idaho State after that. You know, those are the games that you typically go in and you you look past them, right? Uh, they can't do that. They have to come into the season and they have to be ready to play right away. And and they're playing at BYU. And Provo is a pretty hostile environment, especially if you uh, if you play for the Utes. And so, if they're able to go in and get a road win at BYU, that's going to give them some serious momentum. And then all they have to worry about is staying healthy through Northern Illinois and Idaho State uh, to then go into um, a game against USC, where I'm honestly not sure if there's ever been a time that Utah has won at the Coliseum. And th- then then they can go down and try to make this their first time. I don't see it happening that way. I think that they'll probably go in three and zero, and that'll be their first. Uh, that'll be their first loss. But after that, I don't know if I see. I don't know if I even see Utah losing again until they hit the road at Washington. Um, and and so I mean they they're really primed for a very good year. They really only have two games on this schedule that scare me outside of the BYU game. Um, and but I think that they'd also be incredibly disappointed if they won all the games they were supposed to win and lost the games that people think they might lose. You are completely overlooking this this cow game, which is which should be scary for you, which should be scary for Utah. My number three team, though, is the Stanford Cardinal. 2018 was a huge disappointment for them. They could have been 11 and two. Their inability to run the ball with Heisman Trophy candidate Bryce Love was surprising, but they did get some good news. They found out that they got a NFL quarterback in KJ Costello. They found out that they can throw the ball if need be, but the problem is they don't have a running back, so they're going to have to throw the ball because Scarlett is not the guy. Like He's not special at all, and that is going to – be a big problem for the Stanford Cardinal this year, but they're still going to, you can still pencil them in for nine wins. Okay. I mean, I pencil them in for nine wins. Is, uh, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I, I'm going to go in with my number two and say that it's, uh, it's University of Oregon. And when Excuse I look you? at their schedule. Excuse you? I got University of Oregon at number two. All right. In, in, in the power All rankings, right. I, I, right. cha- to me, champs stay champs. You got to knock them off the mountain. And so um, I, I look at that game against Auburn and, um, and, you know, every single time that you come out and say this is the most important year um, in Pac-12 history, sometimes I find myself questioning it like, well, is it? 
but I won't, I, I will give you that it's definitely the most important week. It's I, because it st- I think it stops being the most important year in Pac-12 history if they if Oregon comes out and lays an egg against Auburn. I think that that knocks the luster off of the entire year for the Pac-12. There's just a bunch of pressure on this. Yeah, game. no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. You yeah. just you just had the the entire fate of the Pac-12, which could collapse between now and 2024, is uh could be could be weighed just upon this. Except we do have a topic up next though that may put a put a put a uh you know, an asterisk next to that conference collapsing thing. True, true. My number two, though, is the Washington Huskies. They're the defending, they're defending okay. Pac-12 champs. I'm not in love with Jacob Eason as much as everybody else is. He's, he's got to show me. He's got to show me. Because he physically, he looks the part. He looks the – if you were to draw a quarterback up, he would be – you know, he would look just like Jacob Eason who looks a lot like Josh Allen from the Bills who played at Wyoming. Big, strong, physical kid, throw it a country mile, all of that. But is he a great quarterback? Eh, eh. And that's the way I feel about Washington, and that's why I have them in the number two spot. Okay, and I, and then I, I, would, I would come in and I would say that uh, I think that Jacob Eason is that. I, th- I think that, that he is all that uh, – I can't name another pro-style true freshman in SEC history that did what he did, which was to come in, throw for 2,400 yards and 16 touchdowns without really being a running threat. I Do mean, you realize that 2,400 really yards threat, in the Pac-12 yeah. is nothing? If you throw for 2,400 yards in the Pac-12, you're going to be awful. But the SEC is not the – but the SEC is not the Pac-12. 2,400 20, yards in the SEC is a Pac-12 3,800. We know that because it's a different it's different offense. In in Jacob Eason's freshman year, you know he in, and again true freshman year he he only had like a Pac-12 type game uh, where he went out and threw the ball more than thirty five times twice, yeah. three times. He threw fifty five times in a win at Mizzou. He threw 36 times at Ole Miss, and then he threw 40 times in a home loss to Vanderbilt, which is a bad loss. But at the same time, you're talking about a true freshman in the SEC, and this is not a mobile quarterback. He had negative 45 yards rushing. One of the two of us is going to be known as the quarterback whisperer, and one of us is not, because you believe in Khalil Tate and Jacob Eason, and I'm taking Justin Herbert and KJ Costello. And you can have JT Daniels. I don't want. I don't want him either. I'll take the kid from Arizona State on my on my list too. And we'll we'll see whose list stacks up better than the other. Oh, it's pretty obvious that if you and I had a quarterback draft where we just where we just picked, you know, snake style, like all right, I get one, you get two, three, I get four, five, and we went down. There wouldn't be a single time where either you or I was like, "Dang, it, you I took know. my guy." We're on the opposite side of the fence on almost every quarterback. And I know the listeners of all the Pac-12 Apostle people, all the Pac-12 Apostles, that they are siding with me on this one. And I got Oregon as my number one team in the preseason for the Pac-12. There can be zero excuses for Mario Cristobal in Oregon in 2019. They have a bunch of receivers hurt. Pittman's out, who's probably who have been playing like their best receiver all camp. But they've got a first-round quarterback. They got the best offensive line in the nation, a solid defense. So this Auburn game, there can be no excuses. You have to show up for the entire conference. You have to. There's no way around it. And their road schedule, Stanford, Washington, USC, and Arizona State, is tough. But they avoid Utah with the schedule rotation. And those games are pretty spread out throughout the uh, season. And they only have four road games the entire year. And they were bad on the road last year. So the fact that they only have to go on the road four times and one of them is not Washington State or Utah, I like those odds. Would you be upset if, I mean, I, I think that on its face, nobody would nobody would tear their hair out at the idea of Auburn as a brand and as a college beating Oregon as a brand in a college. The only time they've ever met 
was a 22-19 Auburn win. It's happened before. No, 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 no. They met. They 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 met twice. They met in the beginning of the season. Uh, the Anthony Thomas's first season, and then they met in the national championship with Cam Newton. That's right. Yeah, where where right, Dwyer right. was down. By the way, Dwyer was down. But nobody would would say to themselves, "Oh, I can't believe Oregon lost to Auburn." And that's the but problem. That's on, but that's but that's on face value. You and I both know that Auburn's coming in with a true freshman quarterback, Bo Nix, who who isn't he? I mean, he's got a hell of an arm. Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Alabama, right? Alabama's Mister Football, but he's six one two hundred. It's and and this is going to be his first ever test. I think that Oregon fans who know better, you know, I think people on the outside be like, oh, it's just another Auburn win over Oregon. But I think Oregon fans who know better and Pac-12 fans who listen to this podcast would be pissed off if Bo Nix came into Austin and got a win over Justin Herbert, who has been here since the 1990s. It would be, <laughs> it would be disgusting. It would be disgusting. I mean, it would... It would be so far as to like that that fans should be dejected at the future at the future of the conference. And then that leads us to our next topic of discussion, which is Larry Scott. There have been rumors surfacing and swirling around recently about Larry Scott and his job. And I thought it was kind of odd. I mean you, you know, people have joked and talked about, oh, yeah, like maybe Larry Scott should get fired. Maybe he needs to be replaced. But then Jerry Palm from CBS in, a, in an article talked about uh, some projections for the Pac-12 for this season. And he said the Pac-12 will be looking for a new commissioner to replace Larry Scott before the year is out. This is Larry Scott, who just got a raise to what, five point four million dollars this year. Who announced his who who t- announced his contract extension uh, with like an internal video conference where everybody who worked at the Pac-12 thought they were going to announce a direct TV partnership, and instead it was Larry Scott to say like, "Hey, I'm going to be your boss for even longer." <laughs> Dude, that could not have gone over any worse. So, do you okay. think that this, that there's any way that the Pac-12 will be looking for a new commissioner before the year's out? So some people say where there's smoke, there's fire. And I see all these breadcrumbs here and there of people laying the groundwork to say maybe this is Ray Anderson's role in the future um, as somebody who, you know, ran the, you know, NFL PA, was an agent, is now Arizona State's athletic director. Um, and, and it maybe would give Larry Scott the uh, ability to step aside gracefully as him and Michael Crow, uh, the president of ASU, were really close. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're getting kind of into conspiracy theory territory because then you start to ignore the fact that like nobody that matters has come out and spoke out against Larry Scott at all. Somebody's leaking stuff. I mean, so you know that not everybody's satisfied, um, but nobody's really come out and and publicly spoke against him. He got a contract extension, um, maybe bought some goodwill by announcing that there's not going to be 9am kickoffs this year. You think that bought good goodwill? No way, dude. I, I think there was a there was a lot of fans that were very relieved that this was delayed a year. I I I think that he's got less to worry about with the fans because the fans have been wanting him gone for a good year or two. It, it's just the fact that that the school president seemed to be upset and kind of tired of the the status quo. And I think that there are a lot of people who keep hearing the, oh, 2024, 2024. That's four, that's five years, that's four and a half, almost five years away. Like, why are we, ta- like, why are we think something magical is going to happen between 2020, 2020, 2019 and 2024? I mean, what in the, in his tenure has led you to believe that something magical is going to happen between then and now, or that he is a, magical pull a rabbit out of the hat do something absolutely terrific and special kind of guy nothing and i think that you've heard people say if he was a plant from the sec sent here to screw everything up what would he have done differently oh what would he have done differently right so i've heard people say stuff like that but the whole thing is he's still here 
all the evidence points to the fact that he's had the job and hasn't done a very good job. He's probably going to continue to have the job. You know, when when he led off the 2018 Pac-12 media day by saying that it wasn't a big deal to go one and eight in bowl games because showing up at the bowl was more important than the result. I was like, man, this guy could literally say anything. <laughs> he can literally say anything. I mean, it's that you can't watch. They started their own TV network that you can't watch. And then they put the games only on that network. It this it's everything has been so bad for such a long time that like I, you would have to te- like anything the straw that breaks the camel's back isn't going to make sense to me because that back should have been broken eight or nine <laughs> times over by that a- it just doesn't make sense and so if they have a transition and it is a giant if because I don't believe it's going to happen but if they have a transition then maybe it's going to be less of a kick the guy out and more of a they're sort of laying the groundwork for a Ray Anderson transition down the line type thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't believe a word of it because if he was going to go, he'd be gone. I, I genuinely believe that. And there's nothing less interesting to me than a fight between millionaires and billionaires, which is basically like you talk about disinterested or you talk about dissatisfied university presidents because they've got millions of dollars coming in instead of the one billion with a B difference that there is going to be between now and the end of the Pac-12's contract as far as what the Big Ten gets. And so, you know, that that those feuds don't interest me because you're asking me to feel sorry for rich people, and I don't. <laughs> but at the same time, like, the experience as a fan has kind of sucked, and I would love it for somebody who is more uh, fan-centric and more understands uh, that that people still want the college football traditions of being able to go to the game. And if they can't, it sure would be nice to watch a damn game on TV every once in a while without jumping through hoops. And I think that that's what the average fan is worried about. Every game should be on television. Every game should be accessible. Getting it, getting out of these bad contracts. Like I'm a person, I watch the the profit on CNBC with Marcus Lomonas. And sometimes people are in contracts. He's like, find a way out of your contract. Find a way that makes sense for the person who you're under the contract with and yourself. The way you can put yourself in a better position and even put that person in a better position. And that's what the Pac-12 needs to be trying to do. And the the, the biggest reason that that the Pac-12 is, is has a problem at this point in time is, A, because of visibility, which then turns into the second problem, which had, which goes into recruiting. And Ralph did a, an interview with Miller Moss, who is a 2021 quarterback. He's got offers from Michigan, Cal. Uh, he plays at Bishop Alamany here in the San Fernando Valley where I live at, which is in what Bishop Alamany is in Mission Hills. And he had some interesting comments about recruiting and about the Pac-12 which led me to believe how recruits really, really see the Pac-12. Here it is here. So I'm part of a podcast called the Pac-12 Apostles, and you're another one of these in a long line of quarterbacks who's got a lot of Pac-12 options, a lot of SEC and other options. We see so many quarterbacks looking out to to go to the best schools, and a lot of the time it might not end up being the Pac-12. What are some of the things that you consider when you compare the different schools, different regions, different conferences? Right, right. I mean, I think the SEC is the best football in the country. I don't think that's really a, a debate, up for debate, but I don't think that means necessarily that I'll go to the SEC. I mean, I have great options there. I'm super grateful for that, but I think I need to go uh, to a place that's the best fit for me, not the best football necessarily. And that encompasses culture, um, education, and football. So, I mean, that's not to discount the SEC or anything like that. Um, I'm super grateful for all those options, and I'm keeping all my options, options open, but I think there's more things to consider than a win-loss record in the school. But you don't think about the conference, you just look at, like, the best culture, best fit for you. Right. Um, I mean, people try to kind of see how the depth chart is going to shake out, but I think with the transfer portal and all that kind of stuff, it's too unpredictable. But I think you really need to go to a school where you're going to enjoy being at school regardless of playing football. All right, Miller Moss, big win over Higley, 55-16. Appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, Ralph, Miller Moss just told us that he doesn't believe that the best college football is played in the Pac-12, that he believes that it's in the SEC. And then I told you I talked to a Pac-12 coach this week, and he was saying that he believes that sometimes recruits – look at 
some of these Pac-12 schools as a group of five offer almost, that it's a little above that. But I'm sitting there thinking like, wow, that sucks. The Pac-12 actually had three teams, well, sorry, the third most teams ranked in the AP Top 25, the preseason poll, with five teams. And that's one less than the SEC and two less than the Big Ten. And I'm like, wow, we're like Rodney Dangerfield at this point. No respect. I'll say this because I think his quote opens up a, a whole can of worms for me. And I got a million thoughts, but I'll just address it on its face. First of all, it was really cool to watch this kid play. He's good. I haven't seen a whole lot of quarterbacks like him. He's really solidly built. Uh, you know, he kind of reminds, reminds me of Bo Nix a little bit. Since we were just talking about Bo Nix, he reminds me of a guy that came out of uh, out of Arizona a few years back named Tyler Brugman, who had kind of a string of bad luck, committed to Washington State, didn't like Mike Leach. So he transferred to Louisville, and when he got on campus, so did a freshman Lamar Jackson. And then he finished up, I think, uh, going to a JUCO and then Montana and grad transferring to A&M. So this guy, this guy was everywhere. And you, you never really know how things are going to work out for a quarterback. But you got to like these guys that, you know, solidly built six foot two guys, big rocket arm, the Matt, Matt Stafford types, you know. Um, and, and so it was a pleasure to watch him play. And it capped off an incredible weekend of me going to three different high school games where I got to see six Division I prospects, including Michigan commit J.D. Johnson, Louisville commit Chubba Purdy. Um, I got to see University of Arizona commit Will Plummer. And then I got to see the future in 2021's Ty Thompson, who's got a bunch of offers, and 2021's Kai Milner, who's got a bunch of offers as well. And then I also saw and talked to Miller Moss. All these great quarterbacks out here, yet over half of them are leaving the Pac-12 recruiting footprint. So I just straight up asked him, like, what's the difference between the Pac-12 and the SEC? And he says, not only does he say, I think the SEC is the best football in the country, he caps it off by saying, I don't really think that's up for debate, which that part of the sentence has to grade on you, George. Oh, yeah. You're just like, wow. And I think that a lot of that has to do with optics. It's almost like pricing. When you look at pricing for clothes, for goods, for shoes, for houses, for anything, we generally in our mind think the most expensive thing and the, the most visible thing is the best thing. And it doesn't necessarily, and so the, the brand, the brand value of the Pac-12, despite how many players are in the NFL, how long they play, all of this, despite any of that, and despite the SEC consistently being overhyped, the fact that they are always on television, always talked about, mainly talked about in the media, and that's why we need you guys. To bring the Pac-12 up, bring elevate the conversation, participate like in the new Pac-12 sports subreddit. Participate. Participate in your team subreddit, their Facebook groups, all of that. There's so many opportunities for you to create a demand for yourself. Create a demand for your school. Do it for us. Like This is our conference. This is what we love. And we have to take the initiative like the SEC schools have t- taken. It just matters more to them. And so to that point, they are called the best football because it just matters more to them. And in reality, the best football is just being played at Alabama and Clemson right now. The best football. In the preseason, the ACC only had two teams ranked in the top 25. That means nobody thinks anybody is any good except for uh, Clemson and Syracuse. That's it. Yet the ACC looked at it a way better conference than the Pac-12. That's literally optics. That's all that matters. And so then Miller Moss comes in and he says something else. And I think that this this speaks really, really highly of his perspective. And I absolutely love it. He's got, I got great options at SEC, but I need to go to a place that's the best fit for me. Not the best football necessarily. and Something that has the culture, the education, and the football. He said that doesn't discount the SEC, but he's keeping his options open. It doesn't matter. The win-loss record doesn't matter. Um and he, he pointed out that people try to look at these depth charts, but with the transfer portal nowadays, things are way too unpredictable. You have literally no idea what's going to happen. You don't know. And if you don't know, then you better be picking a place where you fit in. And honestly, a lot of these West Coast kids are, are going to be West Coast young men and would fit in best in a West Coast environment. 
or a Pac-12 environment. So the transfer portal, and correct me if I'm wrong here, George, but I actually see the transfer portal opening up and causing so much chaos as maybe causing a pendulum to shift back from quarterbacks looking for the best depth chart positioning to quarterbacks looking for the place where they fit in best in case they get caught up in that chaos and just want to have the best college experience possible. One 100% agree with you. So hopefully th- this is why this season is so important for the Pac-12. You got to win. That way you can over try to overcome on some level this, this perception nationally. Um, the next thing up, though, is another quarterback, Jacob Eason. Um, I, I had this question because Chris Peterson named him starter at Washington. And you've had a couple, you've had three quarterbacks enter the transfer portal at Washington. One went back to Washington, but now you have Jacob, Jake Hayner and Colton Yankoff, who've both left the University of Washington after being there for a couple seasons. And that led me to wonder and believe. I'm like, hold up. Was this not a real quarterback competition? Was this just a he transferred in? And now he's going to be our starter because we don't want to because he sat out a year and we don't want to screw up his situation. And the re- the reason why I bring this up is because this happened at Oregon when Dakota Prokop transferred from, I believe, Montana to be a grad transfer at Oregon. And Justin Herbert was on the roster. People knew that Justin Herbert was their best option in camp. At quarterback, but he was a true freshman. He was from Eugene. He wasn't highly recruited. And they said, you know what? This is uh Dakota Pro Cup transfer. We're gonna give him first crack. So they lost a couple games in the beginning of the season because of that move. And you're looking at at Washington, and they may not have given everybody a fair shot. And if so, they're gonna pay. And I've already said. With the Colson Yankoff, there will be some karma that Chris Peterson and them have to pay for not signing off on their kids' transfer when they should have. I don't know if I can buy into any of that just because I saw Jacob Eason throw at the high school level. I watched what he did as a freshman at Georgia. I think that he would maybe outside of Oregon, maybe outside of Oregon, I would, I'd flip him for any starting quarterback in the entire Pac-12. I think he'd instantly. I think he'd instantly make every single team better. What um, he prototypical oh. pro style quarterback oh, who has God. touch on his passes, unlike the quarterback who is the uh, uh, near and dear to my heart, my favorite quarterback ever, just because he what what he did for my mother's college, University of Wyoming, Josh Allen. You know, imagine if Josh Allen also also knew how to throw. You know, uh, uh, to put some touch on it to change speeds. You know, he's like he's like if you put. If you put Greg Maddox and Aroldis Chapman together as a pitcher, somebody who could paint and somebody who has the absolute gas, to me, he, the fact that he can't run is a concern to me. But as a pro-style quarterback, I don't think it gets better than Jacob Eason outside of the guy who beat him out in Jake Fromm. All right. I, can, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for you to eat these words, Ralph. You are going to be seeding <laughs> so much quarterback crow this year on the Pac-12 Apostles. It is going to be insane. Uh, next thing up, we got Justin Flo. We're talking another recruit. He's out of Upland. Five-star guy. If you guys have not uh, seen it, we will put the link to it in the description for this podcast. It was a video that went viral. He was playing in a game this weekend. He picked a kid up on a tackle. He's a linebacker. Picked the kid up, body slammed him. And just, I mean, he's fast. He's physical. He's strong. It, it is clear why he's a five-star athlete. And guess what, Ralph? He yeah, had I mean, Oregon if, gloves if he was on to while end up, Because honestly, like two of the best linebacker recruits I've ever laid eyes on in my life are Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, and they could both end up at Oregon which is incredibly scary for anybody else in the Pac-12 to at this point if you're if you're a Pac-12 fan eh, you're almost rooting for him to go elsewhere because he's going to make your life hell. If he if he goes to the University of Oregon, he's a very very good player. I've got a bunch of Justin Flo stories, um but I'll, I'll I'll save those for another time. I will say he is my favorite nickname ever, Baby Man. I love that. 
and, and the coolest thing about him is he dropped about 30 pounds from his junior to senior year just so that he could be more fluid in coverage, just just to show that he could be a more complete athlete. I mean, he's already like the number two ranked player in the entire country. It's not like he needs to go out and do those things, but he's very, very driven. I was out in Atlanta with him about a month and a half ago, and they were doing this drill where you basically just had to lay hands on the running back and they were down. But the running back had the ability to juke you, go around you and get past cones. But he got his foot caught in the turf and he got juked and he missed. And it was one of the only reps he missed on in the entire camp. And I saw him kind of beating himself up about 30 minutes uh, later, talking to himself about the rep that he missed. And I walked up to him and I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, I saw you get your foot caught. And he put his hand on my shoulder, looked me in the eyes, put his face close to mine, and he said, no excuses, and walked away. The dude, the dude left me there thinking about everything I've ever made an excuse for in my entire life. <laughs> Dude, and so he announced his top four. He announced his top four the other day on August 3rd. And his top four, because so many of these crystal ball projections had him for had him at USC. He's either going, he's top four are Georgia, Clemson, Oregon, and Miami. I like that. I like the fact that the Ducks are in, in a Pac-12 school or in his top top four, even if it were you know, Washington or Stanford, where wherever else, we need to keep landing big time recruits. And by we, I don't just mean Oregon. I mean the Pac-12 in general. We can't let these kids in our backyard want to get out of the backyard. Yeah. We want them to want to stay in and the he's, yard. He's and really the highest rated like multi-position linebacker recruit on the West Coast since Fontes Perfect was a five star uh, and 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 went to Arizona State. And they've got a lot of similarities as players. Uh, it would be awesome to see him out here, and I can tell you just from from uh, having an inside source on this, all four teams in his top four are actual legitimate options for him. They, there's none in there that are just fillers or that were thrown in there to make it around even top four. Everybody's got a shot. I like that. I like that. I'm excited about that. Um, and now it is time for us to cast stones. It is time for the cast stone segment of the Pac-12 Apostles. And I was burning hot last night. I was burning hot. I even, I was so hot that I was still typing this morning. I did my good morning to everybody except Doug Gottlieb because everybody knows that Andrew Luck, he retired from the NFL, one of the greatest Pac 12 quarterbacks of all time. And it's really almost like a football tragedy because he has so much talent, so much ability had a chance to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time he loved the game and you get Doug Gottlieb tweeting out retiring because rehabbing is too hard is the most millennial thing ever I was like what or maybe having your abdomen ripped your abdomen torn playing with torn cartilage concussions of having a shoulder injury, playing through it for two years, then having to sit out a year to rehab, having a calf injury, now an ankle or Achilles injury. As a player who was hurt a lot in the NFL, that's me. Uh, Seven years, four surgeries, just could never put it all together because of injuries. It is, there's a point where being hurt all the time and waking up in constant pain every day it strips your love for the game. It strips your ability to play as well as you want to. And then the most painful injury that you can ever have is what Andrew Luck is suffering right now, which is the pain of unrealized potential. You know what you could be. You know what you could have done. And and it does not happen. So I'm casting stones at Duck Gottlieb. I'm casting stones at the Colts fans who booed him as he was walking out of the stadium. I'm casting stones at whoever leaked it to Adam Schefter uh, prior to the game because he was supposed to have his press conference on Sunday, but he ended up having to do it after the game. So I'm casting stones at all of those turds in the stadium that booed. I'm casting stones at the turd that told Adam Schefter. I'm casting stones at Jim Ursay, who messed up his career by uh, not getting him an old line and even letting him play hurt, cutting his career short. I'm casting stones at 
at Doug Gottlieb and every single person who doesn't even realize what it's like. Stand on the field for five minutes at an NFL game and see that car wreck and see if you aren't terrified at, at getting hit by those guys running on the sideline. Okay, Ralph, I'm off my, I'm off my soapbox. I, I think uh, I, I'm going to pull a dad move here, but I, I want to be mad. I want to be mad right along with you. I want my blood to boil, but I'm, I'm also just disappointed. I mean, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in, in uh, the overemphasis on what can you do for me that leads to reactions like this about athletes making choices that are the best choices for themselves. Because, I mean, you want to call a man weak for walking away from not just another $60 million in salary, but another $150, $200 million contract. You got quarterbacks playing until they're 40. What would Andrew Luck's next contract have been? I don't even think we have the ability to comprehend. You saw what Kirk Cousins got? I mean, yeah. Andrew Luck might be yeah. the most talented quarterback I've ever – a guy that can run a 4-5. A guy who has such a positive mindset and mentality, who has intelligence, who can make every single throw, who made four Pro Bowls right off the bat. I mean, this was a guy, this is a four-year-old tweet from me, okay? Um, But I I pointed out that Andrew Luck at this point, by the end of the 2015 season, going or going into the 2015 season, he already had 13,000 passing yards, 86 touchdowns, and three playoff wins. And I compared that to the fact that the last 10 quarterbacks, 10 that the Oakland Raiders had drafted, had a career total combined of 11,300 yards, 75 touchdowns, and zero playoff appearances, not wins, appearances. That Andrew Luck was better five years ago than the last 10 quarterbacks that the Raiders as a franchise had used a draft pick on. I I had, I have tweets going back six years ago saying that Andrew Luck, Tom Brady, will, will be the future Jordan-LeBron debate. I was such a believer in, in Andrew Luck, but when it comes down to it, you see a man up on the podium crying because he knows that he can't match the expectations that he had for himself. And that he's going to be taken away from his teammates, but also knowing that it's the best decision for him and his health and his family. And you can't take any of this money with you. We just watched billionaire uh, uh, Coke brother die. He goes back to the dust. Where does all that billions go? He doesn't take it with him. There's no point in Andrew Luck having a quality life if he doesn't have quality of life. And so I look at something like that and I say, you know, I wasn't just, I'm not a Colts fan. But I, now I was an Andrew Luck fan, and I was a believer that he was going to be the next Dan Marino. And when I heard about his retirement, my first thought wasn't like, damn it, I have him in one of my fantasy leagues, and I do. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, my goodness, like I'm going to look wrong for all this stuff I said, or I want him to be good so that I look good. It was, wow, he must have been in a lot of pain. Exactly. That and was the first thought that went yeah, through my head. Like and how much I, I get upset because where did we lose humanity to where that wouldn't be your first thought in those circumstances? And what I've landed on is if there are football players out there who played in the NFL and who went through this, who want to come out and say that they feel like he made the wrong decision or that the timing was off or that they wouldn't have done the same thing, I will listen to them and I will give their opinion credence and value. But if it's somebody like me who couldn't walk for an entire week because I got into bed at a bad angle because I tried to jump over my dog about a month ago and who didn't go to the doctor because I was afraid that they were going to give me shots in my heel that would have gotten me probably better three or four days earlier, but also would have hurt more at the time that I got them. People like me don't get to have a damn opinion on shit like this. So I'm I'm just disappointed that everybody feels like they have the ability to weigh in on what's right and wrong on an issue that's not an issue of morality at all. It's a man making a decision about his career and his life. And and if you bought season tickets, who cares? Still root for your team. You would you rooted for him when he was gone. Root for root for your team again, just like you did when he couldn't play two years ago. I what? And that's all I have to say about that, Ralph. I am clapping for you, sir. That is well said. That is absolutely awesome. It is spot on and correct. Like, um, it's 
his career. He can. I'm sorry. It's his. Well, it's his NFL career, but the professional sports is temporary. It's a job. It's not a career. You can't do it for the rest of your life. Andrew Luck is going to go on to have a career with his Stanford degree now. And no matter how great you become in the NFL, if you can't walk and have a quality of life with your kids and spend your and spend the the after taxes that he potentially could have 200 million dollars that he could have made. Guess what? It's worthless. Your health is the your mental and physical health are the most important things to you as a person. There's no amount of money that can buy that. And Andrew Luck made a a courageous decision. And I am all on board with that. You guys, thank you for joining us for the Pac-12 Apostles. We will be back. Make sure you tell a friend, share it with a friend. This is our podcast. You guys are the apostles as well. For Ralph Amson, I'm George Reister. Thank you guys for joining us. Catch you in just a couple days and we're going to preview the games for this week.